Well, good evening and welcome, friends, fans, and colleagues to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Uh, it's Wednesday, so uh, it must be VSF Day. Uh, thank you to my uh, regular listeners and uh, welcome to the new folks uh, that we have calling in each week. And uh, just a shout-out to uh, the band uh, Zingaya, whose music we were listening to uh, to open the show. Um, That is one of my favorite cuts uh, of theirs. Uh, They're a group uh, out of Las Vegas, and that was called Breath of Passion. Uh, There's just something about that melody that uh, just speaks to me on a soul level. And after I hear it, it just... uh, I don't know. It, 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 uh, I want to take a deep breath and just sink into the music. I sort of can imagine me riding the back of a camel, loping across the desert with the music in the background. Uh, oh, well. So let me uh, pull myself together here and uh, return from the desert and focus on tonight's show, uh, which I think is an exceptional one. Um, you know, I I don't often <clears throat> uh, interview um, authors about books of fiction uh, unless they're exceptional. And uh, uh, tonight's author and books uh, uh, are absolutely exceptional. Tonight I have with me uh, Barbara Han Clow. Uh, she uh, had written a lot of nonfiction books and. Uh, Uh, She has turned her attention to some fiction books, uh, Revelations of the Ruby Crystal and the highly anticipated sequel, uh, Revelations of the Aquarian Age. And um, if you don't know Barbara, she's a noted ceremonialist and author. And uh, through the lens of these uh, two new fiction books, She's going to discuss with me uh, not just the the interesting and provocative plot lines of of these two books, which span centuries, uh, but we'll delve into the subtext, um, which is uh, part of the reason uh, I thought this would make an interesting show, because it takes us places like um, if uh, Barbara thinks we're witnessing the end of organized religion, uh, if the return of uh, goddess is actually happening, um, of, of course, there's the issue of the need to heal scars of abuse. Um, if we could achieve world peace, if the truth about the past were known, um, now th- that's an interesting one. I, 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 we, we're going to have to have a discussion about if the the big three religions, uh, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, if they'd ever come clean um, about the you know, the real truth of history instead of uh, standing by uh, the history, you know, that organized religion has written. So uh, let me uh, let me say uh, uh, welcome to Barbara. Hi, Barbara. Welcome to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Hi, Karen. Nice and uh, I do want Thank you for being with me tonight, and uh, I do want to mention uh, some of your other books as well. Um, You are a Mayan calendar researcher, and uh, you've written the Mayan Code, and uh, your other books include uh, the uh, Pleiadian Agenda, Alchemy of Nine Dimensions, Awakening the Planetary Mind. Um, You've taught at Sacred Sites, and uh, uh, but now you've turned your attention to fiction. I I wonder what what um 
what inspired you to make the shift? Well, what happened, Karen, as you can see, I've written books in many, many fields. And um, Mm -hmm. the most original, um, a lot of my books are actually research books on something like, say, the Mayan calendar. But the most original um, part of my work is the Pleiadian Agenda and then a scientific analysis of the Pleiadian Agenda, which is called um, Alchemy of Nine Dimensions. And this is this is a really truly multi-dimensional um, creation, and I finally reached the point where I needed the artistic um, quality of fiction. I actually needed to have a series of characters, and actually two generations of characters: parents and then um, grown children. Um, because in order to get into that multi-dimensional level, I really needed a, a much greater reach, which fiction can offer a person, a, a writer, mm-hmm. um, as long as you could create great characters. And so the goal was to create right, great right. characters who are doing what I've done in all of my other areas of research my whole life. Right. Well, and and I would imagine it that uh, sort of challenged you in a different way, maybe uh, in a in a way that, um, uh, I, well, I, you know, I, I want to say, uh, you know, it, it maybe sparked something in you that had been dormant. Um, you know, you, you, uh, you know, you, you wanted to, um, it, you know, just sort of delve into more creativity than, um, you know, like you said, you know, these other books were almost, you know, they were research-oriented books. Not that you don't do research for a fiction book. Of course you have to, but it's different. Um, it, with the with a fiction book, you can let your creative juices flow. Uh, you can, you know, take some, um, you know, creative license uh, that you can't when you're writing those other type books. Yeah, that, that's true. And then I especially needed the creative license because, This is actually a trilogy, and the first two books are in, and I'm writing the third one at this time. And my goal was to cover the the time period from 2011 through 2020. Um, I've also written a couple of astrology books, and I'm an astrologer. And, (coughs) excuse me, with um, deep analysis, um, what I wanted to do was, like, call the point in time when the transition actually occurred, would occur. And I decided it would be 2011 through 2020, so I started the first book in 2011. And boy, has that analysis turned out to be prophetic um, in terms of the actual shift into Aquarius. Because when we go out of one age, which is the age of Pisces, and we move into the next age, the age of Aquarius, there's always a tremendous amount of chaos and shredding of reality when that transition occurs. And that's exactly what's going on. So I'm attempting to track that. And then I needed to have a selection of details because there's a billion things that are going on. But I needed to pick the things out of the um, changes that are going on that are going to end up being really significant, such as the um, end of the, uh, not not total end of organized religion, just that organized religion will not be the ruling factor on the planet. And so I needed that creativity of fiction to be able to, to, to select the correct details and then to have the characters actually experience the changes, because all of us are going through so much right now, and I'm hoping that my characters will be um, will help the readers actually deal with the changes better just by following their lives. 
Okay. Well, you know, I have a feeling we're going to be flipping back and forth between books and between um, the the plot lines versus, um, you know, your your um, you know, shall we call it your uh, academic or scientific uh, research. Um, so to speak, uh, I mean, if you don't mind, speak a little bit more about that, you know, about the the changes that you predicted and you saw, and I'd be remiss to ask, so what do you think is next? Oh, what do I think is next? Actually, I think we're on very, on very much on the verge of a disclosure about extraterrestrial influence on this planet. I think that Trump is exactly the kind of president where something like this could actually occur. And so two days ago, we hear they're creating a new space agency, and that's very mm-hmm. peculiar. You know. And so that's what I, in fact, I'm going to be talking about that quite a bit because I've also had a, a fair amount of extraterrestrial contact myself. But I'd, I'd like to say one thing about the books. The books have a lot of content in the background. For example, the first one, Ruby Crystal, the background theme is um, priestly sexual abuse. And that turned out to be very prophetic because now we have the Me Too movement and now we have a tremendous um, movement toward um, solving problems that are, are being caused by abuse. And then the second novel, the theme has, has more to do with um, the, the breakthrough from an artistic level of the changes that comes through a painter in the book. And so um, I, I don't know exactly what I want to say about that. But, yeah, what I would like to say is that this is what, what we call content fiction, like Dan Brown, for example. And mm-hmm. in, the 19th, in the 19th century, some of our favorite writers really traced, the, like Anthony Trollope or, or Jane Eyre or whatever, they really traced the background changes in society while their characters lived out their lives. And I think this is one of the great values of fiction. Like, like if you think of a historical period, like a period, you know, maybe, say, during the time of Henry VIII or something like that, you never can remember mm-hmm. all the stuff about all these kings. But when you read a fictional novel about their lives, what happens is you remember the background historical information. So I think we need our writers yeah. to, to teach us in that way, and that's one of, certainly one of my goals. Right. Well, with uh, Revelations of the Aquarian Age, the one that just came out, the the second one, and in, in you said you're writing the third, so there's going to be a trilogy, um, a, a lot of the plot line involved uh, Jesus and Mary Magdalene, uh, which is a, you know, provocative um, Subject. I mean, I know we were talking about that in the 90s. I mean, it was that was like a sizzling topic. And, uh, I mean, I just love the fact that uh, Mary Magdalene has been totally rehabilitated. Um, you know, I, I don't know anybody in the circles that I have contact in that, that even think of Mary Magdalene in terms of, you know, how we did maybe 20 or 30 years ago as the repentant prostitute. You know, now she is... Uh, you know, been totally rehabilitated, and she has a new persona as the divine feminine. Uh, she's part of the sacred couple, Jesus's wife. Uh, and in this this book too, you get into you know their relationship, sacred sexuality, um, and uh, you know, it, I wonder if there was a reason why. Um, you know, how does that tie into uh, what you see happening out in the world today? You know, your your 
the the stuff that was prophetic, if you will. Yeah, well, you put that really well because the facts are we think of Jesus and Mary Magdalene completely differently than we did 20 years ago. And this goes back to Holy Blood, Holy Grail, and the different books that have come forth, and I'm sure you also read. And so the people at this point think differently, but the religions are not changing their stance. And this mm-hmm. is very, very important, and this is one of the reasons, one of the things I, I did in Revelation to the Aquarian Age is I covered the issue of the discovery of the Jesus family tomb, um, the Talpiot tomb in Jerusalem, because we are living in a world right now where it's very, very highly likely, if not already proven, that we've discovered the tomb where Jesus and his family were buried. And yet this is deeply hidden by, by the um, by the uh, people in Jerusalem, the, uh, the you know the uh, Jewish um, archaeologists, archaeological system, and then certainly by fundamentalist Christianity because they don't want it to come out. Um, well, first of all, Catholicism doesn't want the real story because then what are you going to do with the celibate um, priesthood that has been um, mm-hmm. abusing children? And then the fundamentalist Christians don't want this because they just have a very, very kind of simplistic attitude toward Jesus. They basically buy the Bible story. And so even though you and I, many, many people that you know, see it differently, the religions don't. And so one of the things Mm -hmm. I'm working on, that's kind of the second book, and of course now I'm working on the third book. And what I feel, um, or what I really think is, is going on, is that when this particular part of the story, the issue of Jesus being married and having a family, finally becomes accepted um, by even by the religions, which I think this is going to happen, because I think it's going to have to happen, then the interesting thing is that in the third book, I can see the resolution between Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Because we've had two, you know, basically 2,000 years of war for, wars for God. And we can't do this anymore. The, the planet cannot take this level of aggression and destruction of planetary resources for warfare. And so what I'm looking for as we go into the, you know, the age of Aquarius is the resolution between these three religions. You know, well, you know, I hope from you're the right. Same source, you know, Abraham. They all come from right, the same right. um, great, great father. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, and, and you know, and, and believe me, Barbara, I think you're right. Um, but let me just ask you a couple questions and throw in a few comments. Now, the, the Talpiot tomb, was that when everything was in the news about the uh, when they found the ossuary boxes and the ins- they had the inscriptions of Jesus' um, brother James? Was that the tomb? Yeah, that's Is right. that the Talpiot right. tomb? Um, yeah, the Talpiot tomb. So yeah, they, that's right. Go, um, so speak to that a little bit. When was that exactly? Because I can't, yeah. re- I can't uh, pull that out of my right. brain. Right, you can't put it and back they, in your but head. I, yeah, but but, what but, I, but they didn't find the, but they didn't find the the bones of Jesus though, right? They think they found the bones of his brother, or 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 I might have that wrong. So you you correct me. Yeah, yeah. what you're thinking of is when they found um, the the James's tomb, uh, ossuary, the brother of Jesus. Um, that was separated. It was it disappeared when the um, Talpiot tomb was excavated in 1980, and it showed up in the antiquities market. And a lot of people have heard about this because it was on display in um, Toronto in 2003. And then the other thing people have heard about is James Cameron, the director of Avatar, did a film called The Jesus Family Tomb with uh, a couple of filmmakers. And so people have also heard about that. That was 2007. But the cover-up on this is 
just absolutely unbelievable because there's a tremendous amount of scientific testing of the tomb um, regarding soil testing and some DNA testing on on uh, remains. But the bones they do not have because what the Israeli antiquities authorities always do is whenever they find an ossuary, they dump all, they have a collective place where they dump all the bones and then they put the ossuaries in a, um, in a warehouse. And th- it's too bad that they do that, but that's what they do. So we don't have that. So, um, well, I mean, in, uh, well, and in, in there's a problem in a sense too because uh, that would destroy the whole premise of Christianity about, uh, you know, Jesus being divine and, uh, you know, rising to heaven and all of that. Um, I mean, we, we couldn't possibly just, yeah, the resurrection, we couldn't, uh, you know, we we couldn't destroy that resurrection myth. Uh, I mean, it would it would just um, you know the house of cards that is Christianity would come uh, crashing down. Um, but explain to me though, what was so earth shattering about that discovery? Well, first of all, you have to admit historically, if it, it really is the tomb of the family, um, that's mind-boggling in itself. But then it becomes even more shattering when you consider the issue of resurrection, because Christianity mm-hmm. is based on resurrection and and and, and is Islam. I mean, it's, you know, well, Islam's a little bit of a different take on it. But um, the interesting thing about that, um, Karen, is that something else was going on regarding um, uh, its resurrection, which has to do with the issue of a very very ancient technique of in, of raising people's consciousness by doing a raising, and this this means the, a raising is when a person feels like they've encountered the end and, and, and death, and it, it, it's a technique that you can create with people. And then their consciousness explodes because they go into the non-physical realms and they go into very uh, major states of high consciousness. So hmm. what's kind of hidden by the resurrection is the fact that all of us have the capacity to um, reach these very, very high levels of consciousness by initiation. And that's more the subject of the third book. The second, the interesting thing about fiction is you have to live with these characters kind of going along. And one of the major mm-hmm. characters of the book, of course, is Armando Pierleone, the painter. And he, he, he is a inter- really interesting character because he's going through levels of his consciousness is, is becoming more highly developed all the way through the trilogy, where he starts out in the first book as a really bad guy, a real major abuser. And then he goes through changes um, in, in his own life and then, and then finally starts to transform himself and then eventually goes to a really high level. So the twist here is that some of these Christian dogma concepts, such as resurrection, keep us away from a whole lot of things that we're actually capable of. And that is one of the central issues of the age of Aquarius, is the ability of right. the individual you know, to attain higher states of consciousness, that we don't have to have priests and religions to tell us how to do, do any of this anymore. Yeah, so it's it's kind of like the heretical Gnosticism, so to speak, you know, um, th- that would enable you to, to be, uh, uh, you know, to to you know touch God so to speak. This is very astute on your part, because the the, the trilogy is very fundamentally Gnostic, 
um, because I think that that was the high point in religion 2,000 years ago that got put on the shelf while dogmatic Christianity was developed. And the Gnostics um, actually really believed in the importance of the change of the ages. Um, they believed, and, and actually the Gnostics had records before the Alexandrian library was burned that actually go back 10,000 years. They actually go back through five or six great ages because we, we get a new age every 2,000 years. And so this trilogy is actually a real teaching from a Gnostic point of view of how to, how, how to let go of the old levels and how to bring in the new. Because if you don't do it right, you end up with a lot of the bad elements continuing through time instead of transforming. And the best example of that is that the age of Aries is before the age of Pisces. The age of Aries is like 2000 BC to right around zero. And that was the age that developed organized warfare. Um, we don't have any evidence in the earlier ages anywhere on the planet of organized warfare. We have people camp robbing and, and knocking people's heads off. That sort of stuff is always going on. But the actual, like the actual um, de devotion of a culture to warfare is a, is a new thing during the age of Aries. And then it should have been transformed during the age of Pisces. The age of Pisces is a, meant to be a very spiritual um, a phase of, of time. But what happened is, is the, the warfare didn't get dropped, and so then we have wars for God, which have been so devastating to all of us in our lifetime. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and I wonder, I don't mean to jump around too much here, because I still want to get back to the idea of can, um, you know, can these religions rewrite their history and, and maybe come clean about what's the real truth, if they even know, you know, if they haven't lost it uh, by, you know, by now, uh, that, you know, that they've hidden it so long. Um, but, you know, I'm thinking about how the evangelicals in the United States are the ones that put Trump in power and and keep Trump in power, and they're so anti-Jesus, or should I say anti-Jesus's teachings, at least what I think Jesus taught. Um, and I wonder if, if you feel that that's significant, um, you know, how that plays into, um, you know, these ages that are coming and going. I mean, because it feels yeah. like you can lay an awful lot of evil at the feet of these organized religions. Mm -hmm. Yes, again, very astute on your part, because um, we can really think of the age of Aries, 2000 B.C. to 0 A.D., as like, the, as like the age of Yahweh. And Yahweh, Jehovah, was, was, a, was a god of law, and he was, he was a very violent, abusive god. I mean, it's just the truth. It's in, all you have to do is read the mm -hmm. Old Testament. And then when Jesus came along, Jesus taught that the way that we needed to move into was to move into um, understanding that God is a God of love. And that mm -hmm. is what was supposed to happen during the age of Pisces. But the religions held on so tightly. For example, in, in Ruby Crystal, the first book of the three, um, the issue in that, that book is the issue of a, a theologian named Marcion, um, who was the one who, who objected. He was actually a very uh, big fish. Are, do we, are, you, are we stopping? I'm, uh, I'm no, 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 we're not. I, I'm, 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 I'm going to turn that off, and I, I, oh, I apologize. No, I was, that should have been off. I know. I thought it was the signal that we have, were coming up to a commercial, so I'm <laughs> watching no, no. that. No, <laughs> no. Um, okay, but back to Marcion. Um, if you go back to 100 to 200 A.D., early Christianity, Marcion's church was bigger than the church of Peter in Rome. 
and then there was a big battle over who was going to who was going to have the line from Christ and have the bishops and all that. And they excommunicated Marcion. And Marcion's key central teaching was that the Old Testament should not be attached to the New Testament. Um, it's not that the Old Testament isn't valuable, and it's not that it's not great scripture. But Marcion believed that in order to um, bring in the God of love and the God of compassion, that we had that the Christianity have, had to have its own scripture. And so that the first book here in in this trilogy is actually working on that issue. And then as we go into the second book, it, the, the issue starts to transform um, more so in terms of what's actually going on with the religions. And I'd like to go back to the way you started this, this comment, which is to say that speaking of you saying that almost everybody you know thinks about Jesus and Mary Magdalene very differently. Well, almost everybody's starting to think about almost every aspect of religion. Let's 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 take Roman Catholicism. And who believes you shouldn't use birth control and and who who believes that you shouldn't have a female priest if if you want to, you know? And so when you, this is what happens when an age changes, is the people get way, way out of um, whack with the conventional systems that are functioning. And so what, that's what we see going on right now. We see a guy like Trump coming along who's just tearing everything apart. In fact, he reminds me of St. Paul in a way. If you go back 2,000 years ago, that's what St. Paul did with Judaic Christianity. He just tore it to shreds, get rid of circumcision, get rid of dietary and um, that, that is what we're, it isn't that I'm saying Trump is St. Paul, in no way am I saying that. But he's playing that role of throwing a whole bunch of stuff out. But that's the point in the transition that's so difficult. Because we all have attachments and needs connected to the various structures that we're dealing with in our lives. Well, and, and I mean, I'm thinking, you know, these, these evangelical Christians, um, well, you know, I can't even imagine being in in their head. Um, you know, it's hard to comprehend. I mean, they must feel like there's a ping pong ball bouncing around because, on the one hand, and you know, and maybe this is just because I don't know enough about what they believe in their scripture, but um, I, I I can't fathom how they can embrace a person like Trump. I mean, he's the antithesis of what religion and spirituality um, is supposed to be about. Uh, I mean, there's such hypocrisy. And I mean, and you read every day how, you know, people are leaving organized religion. You know, they're leaving Christianity especially. Um, you know, I mean, it's toxic. And um, and it's amazing to me that... Um, how do I even language it? I mean, I guess it's just amazing to me that the lowest common denominator, um, the least evolved among us, are the ones that seem to be wielding the power. You know, some people say, well, it's the last gasps of the patriarchy, you know, uh, and we could expect that it was going to be like this before we transition into, um, you know, a, a realm where, or a time when, you know, we have higher awareness among the masses. Um, I, I don't know, do you think that's that's what's going on? Or, uh, I mean, how when you look out there, where does it fit into this, uh, idea you have of um, you know how things are evolving in the ages. 
Well, I definitely think this is the, the demise of the patriarchy, and we can see it everywhere, left and right. But of course, it's not going to—it's not going to fall easily. And if we go through the various great ages, if we go back a little bit further, what you have, they always they go in reverse, which is always very confusing for people. But if you go back through the age of Aries, and then if you go back to the age of Taurus, which is like 4,000 BC to 2,000 BC, um, we have the age of the goddess. And then before Taurus, we have the age of Gemini, which is like 6,000 to 4,000 BC. And the age of Gemini was an age of enlightenment. And the air sign ages, uh, Gemini, Libra, and Aquarius, tend to be the great age where a whole slew of really bad stuff that's developed just finally just gets rejected and more enlightened ideas come in. And so I think, like, for example, um, I'm seeing in my lifetime, um, from an anthropological point of view, I'm seeing the most profound change that I think people have seen in thousands of years, which is fathers caring for their infants and small children. Now, I raised four children, and, and I'm 75 at this point, so I'm definitely the older generation. And even though my husband, and I'm still with the same husband, was a very enlightened individual. He just didn't do that. Nobody did that. And now I, everywhere I look, it's just I love it. Everywhere you go, the men are taking care of the children. They're taking care of the babies. They're holding the infants so tenderly. This is a huge anthropological shift. And it's one of the things that will break down the patriarchy because the generation coming up and, and the generation below them, they don't want to do things that way any, they, anymore. They don't want to be an abusive man. They don't want to be a, a Harvey Weinstein. So it, it's, it's, believe it or not, it's actually going away because it can't function anymore once, when, when, once people see what's really going on. Once people realize what a guy like Har- Harvey Weinstein does or what a guy like Trump does, they're going to go away. They're dinosaurs, would be a good way to put it. Well, I hope you're right. And I mean, and I've I've been thinking that uh, maybe the millennials were, uh, you know, going to step in and be a big shift. You know, I've thought that ever since I saw they had the sense to back Bernie Sanders, you know, um, and, and, ju- and just, you know, they're not anti-gay, you know, they don't seem to be sexist. Uh, they're, they're just a, you know, a, they just have a different mindset. They seem more inclusive and they don't have all these phobias and isms that, uh, you know, the older generations have. Um, so, so maybe that's part of it. Um, you know, what you're, you know, what you just described, I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. Um, you know, I, I guess living it day to day, it's difficult because it seems like we're not making any progress. Um, but we have to remember this is just a little blip on the you know on the timeline of history you know a 10 or 20 years is is nothing um you know it in maybe 10 or 20 years from now this you know this nightmare that we're living in right now will will be history you you've heard the saying that um that people are um going to suffer if they're born during difficult times i forget exactly how that expression no. goes yeah, it's, just, it's, no, it's an old thing that that's been around forever. The, you kind of, kind of like beware of living during difficult times. Well, this is actually an expression that comes from the shift of the ages. Because I, now another thing I did in the first, first novel, Ruby Crystal, 
is I explored the transition from the age of Aries into Pisces, the previous one, fairly carefully so that you can see more easily what's actually going on now. And the way you're expressing it, Karen, is, is exactly how it feels. I mean, that's why I, I decided to write this. Is, is in, in terms of my own background, I've been, I was an astrologer, and I, I've been a healer and a spiritual teacher. I still am, of course. And um, I'm writing this just to help people at this point. And it could be that the readers are going to primarily be people who are 50 and older, although I've tended all the way through my writing career to have a span of ages with the readers. But one thing I do know is for the people of my generation, which is basically the boomers, um, we have had a tremendous amount of emotional baggage because we were coming out of the Victorian era and we were coming out of an era of secrecy and even if really bad things happened to you or to people you knew, you couldn't talk about it. And so now mm-hmm. to have like, you know, and I wrote about I wrote about uh, sexual abuse back in the 1980s and practically had tomatoes being thrown at me when I went out to do book signing um, because I'm very, huh. very blunt. You know, I tell the truth. Um, but now mm-hmm. look, look what's happening. We are really making progress. And these are the fundamental issues. You know, ultimately, it's the relationships between men and women and families and communities that that matter. You know, this ridiculous um, road show going on in Washington. Um, From one point of view, it doesn't matter as much as our personal transformation is concerned, you know. And then, right, of course, right. we're in the middle of a huge drama of, of of legal issues with the American government, which is very, very meaningful. It's, it's almost like sometimes I feel like I'm I'm back in Athens in 500 B.C. watching Greek drama. You know, it's really incredible mm-hmm. what's going on, but a lot. Or the fall of, or, or the fall yeah. of Rome. <laughs> um, yeah, oh yeah, you know. definitely well, like the fall of Rome. Yeah. Uh, well, and and you know the. the uh, even though it looks ugly, you know, it's kind of like that expression, you know, nobody likes to see sausages being made. Um, you know, even though it, it's, it's hard to take, um, I think the fact that we have so much transparency and we're seeing so much ugliness, whether it be Congress or Trump or uh, people are looking at, you know, the role the United States plays as, of, uh, you know, as the bully in chief, you know, the, uh, the dominator country, you know, with all the bullets and bombs and how they've, um, you know, messed with the, the politics and, and business uh, in other, you know, in, in other countries or, uh, you know, we, we look back at our own history and we see the genocide, uh, you know, that, that uh, we felt was, uh, you know, our right to perpetuate on Native Americans. I, I mean, there's so much, so much. I mean, we could talk an hour about the atrocities, uh, you know, committed by, you know, our government, uh, you know, since the, the beginning. But, it, it, but, I, but I feel like why it's hard to take um, it's almost like maybe in a way the transparency um, is is cleansing you know um, if that makes any sense you know because you can't fix anything if it's hidden if you can't talk about it if or if it's spoken about in whispers um, but if 
you know these these um, these atrocities, whatever they are, you know, fascism, uh, racism, the you know uh, the abuse women suffered, and now we have the Me Too movement. You know, it, it's like the the transparencies of all of these things, as hard as it is and painful as it is to live through it, to hear it, to see it, um, it really gives us the opportunity, I think, to step up and fix it. And, you know, maybe I'm um, too much of an idealist still, but I can't help but think maybe that's what's going to happen next, you know, um, that will wallow in it for a while, um, and, and it'll just become so egregious that, you know, that we somehow figure out a way to make change, you know, that uh, we'll take back our government, we'll, you know, care, uh, you know, there'll be, um, uh, you know, equality and, uh, you know, fairness between the sexes. You know, it'll be about the common good again instead of uh, the oligarchy. Um, I I don't know. You know, maybe this is all pie in the sky, but I, I would like to think that everything that's being revealed to us Um, has a purpose, and the purpose will ultimately lead us to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And transparency really is the key, Um, because right now what has happened through through this, at at the end of the day, it's always this way where these gigantic control dynamics have been building, building, building. And, of course, central through the three books is the Vatican, and people might think, well, why are you bothering with the Vatican? Well, the Vatican is sitting front on center in the middle of the control of the banking system, and it's a global religion um, which is an, it has been uh, developed in order to control the planet globally. And so the, the problem with these gigantic organizations like, cor- like corporations, Big Pharma, the Vatican, they can't function if people know what they're doing. And so the key to all of it is, is for each one of us as an individual to make that commitment to really figuring out what's really going on. And it's not a waste of time. It's, this is like a group movement. This is like a group cultural movement. Because, for example, take Big Pharma and take the drugging. And my, my generation, the boomers, have just been drugged um, beyond um, you know, comprehension to the point where they're like the night of the living dead. Did you ever see that film? That was a film yeah, in the 50s. Yeah. yeah, you remember that? That was a really great film. Yeah. And I think it was, I think it was a um, prediction of what would happen with, with um, allopathic medicine, with big pharma. And so people have to, like, take responsibility for their own health. Um, you know, like um, one of the things I've done in my lifetime is I've channeled the Pleiadians, and I wrote a book called The Pleiadian Agenda, came out in 1995, and the Pleiadians just just laugh at humans and say, you don't have to swallow a pill. You don't have to do those things. And and so that's, we're having this, this, and I'm with you, by the way, speaking of being an optimist. I'm actually very optimistic and also in great pain right now, because this is really, we're really at the nexus point of how tough this is. And the the chaos accelerates still further. You know, we have a person yeah. in the White House who just simply is orchestrating reality by creating chaos. 
Meanwhile, yeah. um, migrant children were thrown into dog pens for, you know, six weeks, and yeah. systems are being created, you know, all that stuff. And so we, as each individual, we have such an obligation now to, to, to see the truth. And I've been out teaching for about 45, 50 years now, and I see tremendous growth in, in students um, over, over my teaching career. Um, the number of people at this point who really have figured out a lot of the um, segments of this game is really huge at this point. And so it's going to change, and and the correct word is definitely transparency. We just have to keep pushing for transparency. Well, and, you know, it's it's sort of we've been talking about that hundredth monkey idea, you know. Um, And, and, you know, and I've been thinking a lot about the fake news thing, you know. Um, Granted, there's an awful lot of fake news out there. And it's I guess it's a double-edged sword when you lose – uh, you know, when you lose faith in institution. Um, I mean, I think we have to lose faith in some institutions because some of the institutions don't serve us. I mean, and obviously the corporate media doesn't really, um, you know, cover the things that benefit the 99%, you know. Uh, you know, they, they, I think they're geared toward, you know, benefiting, you know, the 1%. Uh, but, by this, but by the same token, um, you know, you look at, like, say, Fox News, for instance. You know, I think historians will look back over this time period uh, and the influence that Fox News has had on Americans, and they will say that Fox News, which I feel like is the propaganda arm of the GOP, um, I, you know, I, I think they will speak to just the, egre- the egregious um, negative influence they have been on the psyches of uh, of American people. So maybe, um, you know, the people that, you know, uh, just sort of write off the media in general, uh, maybe to a certain extent it's not all bad, you know, if, if a lot of them might also be writing off Fox News. I mean, because I know people who don't watch uh, you know, I mean, because I think it's on both sides. I mean, I I, I think uh, the right doesn't believe the media, and I don't think the left believes the media anymore either. Um, I, I mean, and it's hard to know who to believe, that's for sure. Um, but it's almost as if these maybe some of these institutions have to fail and be rebuilt from the ground up because they're so rotten and corrupt. Yeah. I think I think it's a combination of some institutions needing to fail totally, and then other institutions transforming, keeping some elements and then transforming into um, other levels. Yeah. Well, you know, you spoke to Trump's um, comments about creating the another arm of the military that would be for space. And, you know, the moment I heard that, I immediately thought exactly what you just said, that mm-hmm. um, it had something to do with the government finally coming forward and admitting that there were ETs and what they've been doing behind the scenes, uh, you know, since Roswell and, and all – uh, you know, uh, since then, and and I could see Trump, you know, being the one that would t- just tweet it out one day, you know, mm-hmm. and just kind mm-hmm. of let the pieces fall where they where they may, like he does with everything else. Um, 
And, and so I, I wonder if you want to speak to that a little bit, because I'm also curious about the experience um, you said you had. You know, you kind of dropped that in earlier. Um, and I don't want to get too far away from your books, but, um, you know, I, I think uh, my listeners would, would uh, you know, hang me if uh, I don't ask you about that. Well, and also the characters in the book um, are informed about different levels of of my own research. (laughs) And I don't have them say, like, oh, I read this book by Barbara Ann Cloud. There's none of that going on. But fundamentally, um, I'm working with nine dimensions of consciousness in the Pleiadian Agenda and Alchemy of Nine Dimensions. This work goes back to the mid-'90s, so this has been out for a long time, and I've been teaching it a long time. And basically, it's a consciousness model um, that exactly um, wor- worked exactly with um, superstring theory. And superstring theory is, is an, an extremely important discovery during our times. Um, like if you think of, if you go back to quantum mechanics, which is about 110, 120 years ago, all of the devices and all the iPads and iPhones and everything are all coming from quantum mechanics. And then, since then, superstring theory was discovered um, in 1995. It was first discovered scientifically. And we're going to have a whole new level of science coming forth based on superstring theory. And the latest news on that one is that um, scientists have now mapped the architecture of the human brain. This is 2015. And this project <coughs> excuse me, is called the Blue Brain Project. And we've discovered that our minds actually function in 9 to 11 dimensions. They've actually been able to get geometrical images of the different dimensions. And so the reason the disclosure issue is really important, and and you did that really well, speaking of Roswell and and the issue of um, what's been going on with government secrecy. And the the danger that we're going to face as we become aware that we're in touch with other realities and other beings and other dimensions is that the powers that be, the controllers, are going to try to reduce that experience to only the third and the fourth dimension. The third dimension is where we are right now, um, linear space and time. The fourth dimension is the collective mind. And the fourth, and this, by the way, the system is different than Einstein because it's a consciousness model. And there are actually nine dimensions. I'm only doing uh, the third and the fourth. But the fourth dimension is the collective mind that functions by duality, dark and light, black 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 and white. And it's very polarized. And what happens with our media and with our scientific system is that people's minds are constantly pulled into the fourth dimension. And that's one of the reasons we're having a struggle right now because we're starting to see the truth of the way this whole thing operates. And so in terms of what I'm doing with this myself, I'm very anxious to see people actually strive to get in touch with all 9 to 11 levels. Because when you do that, you get in touch with very, very high states of spiritual consciousness. So with Aquarius, by the way, the planet Uranus, um, it, it rules technology. And so you can see Aquarius has been coming in. We can see it coming in with computers and major levels of technology. Well, what went on with the space program and the secrecy um, with our government is our government got a hold of a whole bunch of extraterrestrial technology, and actually a lot of the technology that they got a hold of is the basis of some of the technology that we're using today. So as people figure this out, 
and start to understand how they're in touch with many, many more levels than they thought they were previously, the most important thing is not to just get stuck at that at that duality level, the dark and the light and bad and good. And that's what struggles mm-hmm. about really, you know, you bring up evangelicals. Well, they're obsessed with this is good and that's bad, you know. And mm-hmm. then when migrant children get thrown in cages, they don't see that as Christians they might have something to do with what they should be thinking about. Or they don't care if you have a president who's had three wives and is probably going to keep on going. In other words, they're so obsessed with this black, white, bad and good level that they can't see they can't see outside of it. And that's the key yeah. now, to start to see outside of the box, which is mainly what my whole life has been devoted to. Well, and 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 I, well, you know, you said that you know they have this black and white thinking, and and I, I and I know that's true, you know, and it's also very fear based as well. I mean, I think the fact that they're so fear based, um, I think that controls so much of their thinking. But I do wonder how they can look at what's going on and not think, uh, and and think that it's good. You know, I, I mean, how, who does well, any you know, of Karen, this from, evil and... Yeah, well, from one point of no, view, please, they're getting ahead. what they want. Well, from one point of view, they're getting what they want. And what I mean by that is their basic... This is fundamentalist Christians, not so much the full range of Christians. But the real fundamentalist Christians actually believe that you need to get control of Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, and then Jesus can, can come flying through the sky and land in the temple. And they believe that. And so now we have a president who moved the American embassy to Jerusalem, and the, and you know the Israelis have really taken basically total control of of, um, of Palestine, and so they're getting what they want right now. But what they want yeah. is is based on the the idea that that we're at we're coming to the end of the world, um, everything is going to be destroyed, and well the rate they're going they're destroying a lot. But that's not really what's going on. What's going on is the change of the ages. And when we yeah. make that transition from one age to the other, uh, to the next one, people feel like they're in the middle of a cataclysm. So one yeah. of the books that I wrote about that, I wrote a book devoted just to that issue called Awakening the Planetary Mind. And that book surveys the last 20,000 years of human history and geology and climate change. And it's based on the um, scientific evidence of a gigantic cataclysm, a, actually a series of cataclysms that occurred at the end of the Pleistocene, at the end of the Ice Ages. And this, this is back around 9, 10, 11,000 B.C. And what, one of the things that's going on with us is that we are actually a multi-traumatized species. And the reason that we're a multi-traumatized species is we don't know the story. And science did everything they could to cover up the story about the real truth of what happened. But we really went through a great catechism on this planet um, only 11,000, 12,000 years ago. And so the reason people are so fear-based, especially fundamentalist Christians, is they haven't processed the fact that this is the past, and so they tend to project it into the future. Well, and, you know, and I have friends that that also talk about ancestral healing from the standpoint that we carry 
you know, we carry this fear or trauma that happens in our life through our DNA. So we could potentially be uh, responding to stuff that happened to our ancestors. I don't know what you think about that, but that's kind of a, a relatively new concept that I've been introduced to, and it would make so much sense. You know, um, because maybe that explains why, um, you know, so many people, uh, you know, j- just are so fearful about everything. Right, because they really are projecting in the inner contents that aren't processed outside of themselves and into the future. Um, and the, by the way, that book, the, that book came out in 2001, and the first title of the book was Catastrophobia, which is fear of catastrophe. Mm. And the basis of the book was that we're a multi-traumatized uh, species because we haven't, we don't have our story of the past, and so we don't understand the inner. Um, and I agree with you about it being. I don't know if it's genetic. I don't know if it's it's in the consciousness bank. Could be past lives. There's a whole lot of sources for for inner memory. But the point is, is that there's actually a really significant change going on in this field. Um, because science has finally caught up with the story. And at this point, um, in the last 15, 20 years, we're starting to get the true story of what actually happened um, so recently. So there's an awakening so, going on yeah, in that level. So, well, I've I, I got to ask you, I'm sorry, I don't mean to take us off, off topic, but so what is it that happened that we don't know happened? Well, around 11, 12,000 years ago, there, at the end of the last ice age, there were there were there were a series of, um, ca- of basic cataclysms like ice melting and seas rising and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, right around 9500 BC, something came through the solar system. There's a big argument going on. A lot of people think it was a comet. I think it was fragments of the supernova, and quite a few other scientists also think that. But we literally, this planet was almost destroyed 11,000, 12,000 years ago. And then what happened after the series of cataclysms is we had a period of survivalism. And this this period is like 9,000 B.C. up to about 5,000 B.C., maybe 4,000 B.C. And then when we get up to four or 5,000 B.C., we start seeing the emergence of Egypt and we start seeing cultures um, uh, coming forth on the planet. But the period of survivalism, I think that that 4,000-year period after, when we were trying to recover, the land had been devastated. People have to, had to build dams and all kinds of things just, just in order to just save the actual landscape um, devastation. And so um, I, I, I especially focus on this period of survivalism because when we were in a period of survivalism, and some of the stuff is in the Bible, of of um, of fathers marrying their own daughters in order to propagate the race and things like that, and also their stories of cannibalism. And so, um, what I what I'm getting at is there's deep core inner memories of a really really yeah. terrible period on the planet, and I think that's where the evil and the child abuse and the really dark behavior is coming from. I think it's coming from the inner minds of people who have not been able to process the inner contents of their consciousness. And then, great, Big Pharma comes along and invents drugs that uh, that create very weird things in people's minds, you know? Yeah. So I think we're, yeah, we're really, just, yeah. It, yeah, 
Um, it, in terms of what I've written myself, Catastrophobia, and then it became Awakening the Planetary Mind, I have seen the, uh, probably the greatest growth of all in that area of human consciousness, where people are beginning to realize what actually happened. They're beginning to process the inner darkness because they, 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 can't, live, they can't live with it anymore. People are changing because they can't live with it anymore. Well, and you make me think about so many people are survivalist nuts now, too. Um, you know, and, and it, that immediately came to mind. You know, you wonder if it's, uh, that's also a symptom. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think um, that's a reaction anyway. to the destruction of the yeah. environment by the military and by corporations. Um, I'm not a survivalist yeah. myself at this age. I, I'm, I'm not going to go there. My children are. And... I yeah. think that it's it's a it's a healthy reaction to the to to what's been, what has occurred with the environment. But another thing about the environment is that of course they try to make it look like it's a human caused disaster. Well, yeah, it is. It's being caused by the military and by corporate greed. Isn't it ironic? Yeah. You know, you know the real truth is who's destroying yeah. the environment? They're destroying the environment. Then they try yeah. to manipulate people to go out and buy new light bulbs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, 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 Barbara, I can see where all of your books are so interrelated. I mean, uh, it's it's just an, it's incredible. Um, and it, and I want to ask you about the um, the alchemy of the nine dimensions. Do you talk about in there how people can get beyond um, the third and fourth dimension and start, uh, you know, connecting with the higher dimensions? Yeah, it's a teaching book about that. And, and, and then what my husband Jerry and I went out and taught it for, for 20 years. We are still, we're still out teaching. We used to teach two-and-a-half-day weekend workshops where we would activate all the dimensions. But at this point, we're doing like – actually, it's really interesting. It used to take two-and-a-half days to do it with people. Now we find you can activate people in an hour. In other words, wow. in other words, people are really waking up to the point where once I'm sure you notice this with people when they hear something that's actually worthwhile and true, they really respond because people are hungry for something that's true after absorbing yeah. so much false information, you know. Yeah. Um, well, and 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 I love that, and, and I can see so much clearer now uh, why you went to these fiction books because, you know, you're able to have your characters play all of this out, um, yeah. and uh, and I think when you know when people see the characters play all of this out in their, you know, over the span of their lifetimes or uh, you know uh, or the generations, um, I, I think they can maybe understand it, and it makes so much more sense. Uh, you know, when they're seeing characters play it out as opposed to just reading um, theories in a book, so to speak. Yeah, that's true. And then each one of the characters, as you said so well, they're very, very interesting characters. One's a New York Times um, reporter, and another one's a painter, and another one is um, an, a, kind of a mag. Some of the older characters are almost like magus figures, really, really in- brilliant, initiated people. And so by, uh, I'm finding that people can understand what I'm talking about by having them talk to each other. And that's where it's so much yeah. fun, rather than just that one yeah. track teaching, you know. In that sense, I'm really having right. a lot of fun. Yeah. 
Well, you know, I want to ask you about this idea of the fallen angels, too, because you have that in your book. And, um, you know, I have to admit, I, I didn't read your book, but I want to read them now. I want to make the time to read them. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, I, 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 I've, and, you know, I don't know whether this is a common concept and I just am, uh, you know, slow on the uptake. But, you know, whenever, whenever you hear, uh, you know, you talk about, um, you know, the devil, uh, Satan, you know, his, you know, name really meant the light bringer. You know, sometimes I've actually thought that the devil was the one that got the bad rap and maybe uh, <laughs> God was really the bad guy. And, I, you know, it has, it, is, is that a theme? Is that what you're talking about uh, by the fallen um, angel, uh, well, the, you know, uh, angle in your book? Well, the fallen angels are coming out of the survival period, this, this six to 9,000. The Bible, of course, covers, it, it, it's based on Sumerian and Babylonian literature, so it's, it's going way, way, the Bible goes way back. And um, it, there's a book that was left out of the Bible called the Book of Enoch, and that's where all of the fallen angel information is coming from. And that was re- just, like, just like the Nag Hammadi scrolls and the, um, the different things that have been discovered. Um, the Book of Enoch was um, was uh, resurrected, was found, and then translated, and so we have it. And basically, it's it's a real story of that survivalist period. Um, the, the fallen angels are really reflective of that period of extreme stress on the planet. And we gotta we gotta integrate that and remember it, as far as I'm concerned. And then the devil is a much more tricky thing because. The, the central theme of this trilogy is how does evil get into the world? And so then the minute you go to the devil, then you're going to fall right into that Christian concept of things. So I just basically stay away from it. Um, I, I, well, I think it's, um, well, I think and, it's good and evil is... Uh, no, you go, you go. We we just keep interrupting well, each other. Well, I was just going to say, but thought. what I do talk about is is Yahweh and Jehovah, because he's right there on the page in the Bible, and he's a really nasty being. So mm-hmm. I kind of go after. He's the one who's on the page, if you know what I mean. So I go after him. Right, right, right. Well, and, you know, and, and again, um, you know, uh, religion doesn't pe- teach people to have much critical thinking. But, you know, even me who, I mean, I spent my early years in Catholic school and uh, probably until I was 12, you know, I, I was influenced by it. And, you know, it, but even I always thought, why are these people listening to this horrible God, you know, and I uh, and I don't know, but it I, I, from a this, this might sound crazy, but from a psychological point of view, I guess if you have a God like that, um, it conditions people to accept really horrible treatment. You know, it's it's almost as if um, you know uh, there was setting humanity up for domination, exploitation. Um, you know the people at the top being able to rain down shit on the people at the bottom, and and you know they they just uh, I don't know they become doormats, psychological doormats. You got it, Karen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you got it in a nutshell. I was re- I'm I was Catholic too, so. That's another reason I'm going after that core issue, um, because if you're going to go after Christianity and really get into what the issues are and what's off and all, you got to go for Catholicism. 
So well, in the third but, book, but, I'm really you know, working. Yeah. But but Barbara, you know, just just from a, a a logical point of view, you know, it amazes me that we have gone these thousands of years, and you know, and and the books haven't been rejected as um, you know evil, misogyny, warmongering, uh, and they just haven't been you know tossed in the dustbin. Um, I, I, I don't know. You know, it just—I I would have thought we would have evolved more as human beings to be able to say, you know, this is this is not my this is not my spiritual book. Who would want that to be my spiritual book? Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know. You know, it it, it well, or, see, or, or humans that—is that unevolved? You know. <laughs> well, you know, um, I, I watch people wake up, and when people first wake up and realize that everything isn't this simple little fairy tale that they got handed, and I know you've watched people do this for years, they go through a lot. When somebody finally has the courage to question and to look at look at things clearly, people go through a healing crisis, people go through a psychological crisis, but where we are now as we transit into Aquarius is that um, we've reached that critical leap point, and that's what's so fascinating. There, yeah, yeah, there are people who believe the Bible, but there's probably a lot more people who are very critical at this point. Now, don't you agree? Yeah. They may not be reading the Bible well, um, to be critical. You know. Well, you well, you know, Barbara, I don't know. I mean, we all live in our bubbles, and, you know, the bubble that I exist in, people have rejected this a long time ago. But I don't, you know, I can't, uh, I, I don't have a good uh, barometer, so to speak, you know. Mm-hmm. When I see these, I, I guess, you know, um, when I saw these evangelical Christians uh, come out for Trump and vote for people like Roy Moore, the child abuser, and, uh, I, I mean, Jeff Sessions was using the Bible to justify what they were doing, separating kids from, you know, their family at the border. I mean, these people are utterly insane. You know, I, I feel like we're living in an insane asylum. Huh. Yeah, well, a cabal has gotten in, there's no question. And that's typical, again, when you're at a shift point where you get these radical extremes um, going on. Um, but I don't, I, I do not think that they're going to win. I think they're creating a huge amount of pain and angst and, and difficulty. But I just don't think they're going to be around. Like, as you said, this is a small um, period in history. It's not, it's, it's a, yeah. in my mind, it is a small period in history. And I think that you and I, for instance, the conversation that we're having on the phone, you know, on the phone today, you, you and I wouldn't have really been able to talk this freely 30 years ago. I can tell you because I've been out lecturing. I'm able, I'm able to say things now that I never could have said. Yeah. Well, and I have to remember another one of my guests said that too. Patrick McCollum said uh, that he had his house firebombed, well, 30 or 40 years ago when he talked about the goddess publicly. You know, so Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, I guess it just seems like things are moving so slowly. You know, the positive change isn't happening fast enough. But I guess, um, you know, in context, 
you know, maybe things are, um, you know, happening uh, Well, right now quickly. we're in the middle of a real retro pullback. Um, and by the way, I am, a, I am an astrologer, and I predicted uh, Trump would win and I made money, and then I wouldn't let people pay me because I was so horrified. And um, <laughs> Trump has the chart, you know, but Trump has the chart of a, um, di- of, of a dictator or an oligarch or some kind of power figure um, in the past who has returned to take control again. It's, it's just totally huh. crystal clear in this chart. So I studied his chart, and I looked at the transits and all, and I basically told everybody, don't be fooled here. This guy's going to win. He's a really powerful yeah. figure. And so then yeah. he swept well, in, you know. Well, well, I have to admit, I didn't think he was going to win, um, uh, and so I was surprised. But I, I, but I do remember I told all my friends, look, he will be the catalyst um, that will be the demise of the GOP because the GOP will overreach, you know, they will go crazy, and and they certainly are. And you know, maybe this, uh, you know, maybe I I uh, I had the right idea then. It's just been so hard living through it. I can't, you know, I haven't been able to keep quite uh, such a detached view of it, you know, mm-hmm. that, um, you know, let's just ride this out. You know, it'll be the end of these, uh, you know, these horrible people. Um, but uh, I, so, well, as an astrologer, I mean, um, what can you what can you see ahead? Um, I mean, do you have any ideas for, you know, what may be into in the immediate future? Well, um, the United States is going to be really under severe stress um, through through the mid-2020s. And the reason for this is that the United States is on the verge of having a Pluto return. And this is a, a connected with Trump getting in. And so the United States is really in for a, a great deal of difficulty and pain. And I think you know that. I think everybody knows that. Um, and so that's really all I can say is that um, it's going to be a, a very, very stressful period. And and it's, hmm. it's, it's, it's how it is, you know? I mean... Well, do you think there's any chance he will win another election? I mean, I since think you've so. looked at his chart? No. I, okay. haven't studied, I haven't studied that one. I haven't studied to look to see whether he's going to get canned or not. Um, but I think Mueller is nobody's fool. I think Mueller yeah. is like a cobra who is just gradually winding up here. And I think something yeah. spectacular yeah. is going to happen. I, I really do. You know. Well, I think it would have to be, and I just worry that even when it happens, you know, he's got his base so primed uh, with this idea of uh, of fake news that that his people won't even believe it. But you know, we'll see. Maybe it'll be spectacular enough that uh, you know even they won't be able to deny it. Well, um, I you know, I I want. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, speaking of fake news, in many, many cases, fake news is a new paradigm that people don't agree with. Um, like I go back through the years where I've had tomatoes thrown at me because I brought up um, differing ideas. And so working out this fake news situation is forcing people to do their own research and their own thinking and to come to terms with what they actually really think and feel about something. You know, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, some yeah. of it is just junk. I mean, after all, we've got it. We now have a collective um, global computer system called the internet, and where anybody can say anything and anybody can do anything. And of course, that's going to be abusive in the beginning. 
But, you know, people yeah. don't have to be that stupid. Like, you don't have to pay for Facebook. This is the really funny, <laughs> funny thing about human beings. You don't have to put pictures of yourself all over the place on Facebook. You don't have to do any of that stuff. And so people are, yeah. are, are making that mistake and then realizing, like, why did I do that? And then what Yeah, did I really need that? More discerning. Because you can't <laughs> just keep buying into the latest um, gizmo or drug that comes, comes uh, that's put in front of your face. People have to be smarter than that. And that's part of this yeah. awakening. Yeah. Right, right. Well, you know, I, I am curious. Did you happen to do a chart on Bernie Sanders by any chance? Um, I didn't, and um, I do think that I loved Bernie. I was a supporter, of course. Our whole family were Bernie Sanders supporters. And one of the really heartbreaking things that happened here is because the Democratic Party screwed him out of the election, um, Trump won. It, it's really unfortunate. Yeah. I think I think Bernie Sanders could could have beaten Trump. I never thought Hillary Clinton could beat Trump. Not in not in a not in a moment. Well, you know, I agree with you. I, I, I think he could have, and I guess I just, well, if you had done your chart, done his chart, I wondered if, uh, I wondered if he's going to run again, you know, but I wouldn't put it past the Democrats to screw him over again, you know, because I they think just, you know, you know what I mean? I, I'm sorry, I what did you age, say? I think age is a factor. I think you have to, have to put oh. age in, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, but I don't well, know. you know, he <laughs> seems to have more energy than me. <laughs> you, you know, um, so I, I, I don't know. You know, I, I just, I just, there, I just can't imagine that there's a Democrat that can galvanize anyone. You know, I mean, there's, there's nobody out there. I, I think that makes anybody excited. Um, it, but I think the Democrats are stupid enough to think, well, as long as it's not Trump, they'll win. But I don't, I don't know. I'm not so sure. You know, I, I don't know. Um, I don't. I tell you the truth. I don't pay that much attention to politics. I'm paying attention. Um, in the third book, Trump has to has to be a factor in the third book because the third book covers 2018 through 2020. So you can imagine what I'm going through trying to write about this. But I don't tend mm-hmm. to pay that much attention to party politics because I think it's right. reached a point where it's very clear that both the Democrats and Republicans are very very corrupt. And so that's another part yeah. of the exposure here that, that's going to be happening. Yeah, yeah, and and, I mean, I think that's part of the transparency as well. I mean, it was rough being a Bernie Sanders supporter and not being a Hillary supporter. I mean, the stuff I had people tell me, you know, I was a traitor and, uh, you know, I wasn't a real feminist and, you know, all of this, you know, kind (laughs) of junk. And, I mean, these are still the people that, uh, you know, can't look at the Democratic Party and see that they have been sitting there complicit and everything that's been going on. I mean, even now, you know, they're they're not even. I mean, with with the horrible stuff that that the that the Republicans and Trump is doing, I mean, you don't you just don't hear from them, you know. Either that, or their their microphone is turned off. <laughs> um, it, it's just incredible to me that they aren't trying harder. And if they aren't trying harder, it's got to be because the way things are serves them. Um, yeah. I don't know. It, it just seems like it's that simple to me. But um, what do I know? <laughs> and and Karen, I um, thought we were going to go an hour. Are are we trying to go two hours? 
Oh, well, you know what? I really wasn't watching the clock, Barbara. I was enjoying yeah, speaking 13. to you. And you know what I would suggest? Now that I – are you familiar with Matthew – this is off the off the air probably at this point, but are you familiar with Matthew Fox? Oh, yeah, and I've original, interviewed him a number of original times. Blessing. Yeah, well, I was I was one of Matthew Fox's students, and then I was the um, and then I went to work for Barron Company, his publishing company, and and worked there for 20 years, and so I'm really deeply steeped in the whole issue of of Catholic pain, and that's really at the core of these books. And so uh, what I'd love to do, I'm just I make a suggestion to you, if you feel like it, once you've read them, let's get let's get back and talk again. Because, okay. because I'm, right. I'm I, saying I, that because I I think you're going to be deeply moved um, be, because of of the fact that we're coming from basically exactly the same place. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. I, I the more we talked about it, the more I realized um, I was going to have to make time uh, to read these books, and I'm sure I will enjoy mm-hmm. them. Um, well, like you said, you know, our our time is getting short. Um, is there anything? Yeah. I, I know we've 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 uh, covered so many different. Um, levels and, and layers, uh, you know, that the books bring up. But is there anything that uh, we haven't talked about that you felt was important to uh, to mention? I don't think so. I think you you did, even though you hadn't read them, you did a really good job of of um, touching on the essential points. I think we did a I think we did a thorough job. But obviously, okay, if you read all right. It'd, it'd be very different for you, and then see see what you think. By the way, the first first one, Ruby Crystal, has a lot of typos in it because the proofer did a poor job, and I'm, I've actually the paperback edition of um, Ruby Crystal is going to come out in perfect condition. So you may just okay. ignore that because that's going to go away. And then Revelations <laughs> of the you know, well, it was very very frustrating, but Revelations of the Aquarian Age is perfectly written. Well, you know, Barbara, I'm laughing, and and, uh, because um, uh, my first book that came out, I the the publisher sent me 20 cases, and they were on my doorstep one day when I came home. I opened up the box and pulled one book out. It was the first time I actually saw it, and. and, and yes, there were some typos in it, but worse than that, there were some blank pages in it and some oh, missing God. pages. Um, yeah. So I, 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 I am sympathetic to that that yeah. uh, that sort of thing. But you know, the weird part about it was, um, out of the whole entire uh, shipment, it, it was it was so weird. I didn't find that problem except in the one book that I picked up. Now, what oh, in the world funny. was that about? <laughs> Isn't that funny? Why? That hasn't happened to me yet. I, I don't even know how that's it's it's possible to even happen. But but I have yeah. to tell you, Barbara, I have so enjoyed uh, speaking with you tonight on all of these many topics. And um, you know, maybe at some point too, we should uh, talk about some of uh, some of your other books in depth. Uh, it might be a service to the community, uh, you know, to talk about the the Nine Dimensions book and the Pleiadian uh, and agenda you can just get too. That so, Manzanita, you know, you can just get that from Manzanita. I you know, will. In other words, I will. Books and, you want, you know, if you want any books, just ask for them, and she'll she'll send them to you. 
Yeah. Oh, okay. I appreciate that. And, you know, and, yeah. and uh, maybe, uh, you know, we'll have you on later on in the year uh, to talk about uh, about these others because I, I think it's all relevant, you know, um, mm-hmm. and yeah. it's important. And, uh, you know, I do this show as a service to the community, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to try to help us all uh, awaken and uplift ourselves. And uh, I think mm-hmm. these are the very sorts of topics we need to be talking about. So thank mm-hmm. you for, you know, your hard work in the world. I, I mean, it's obvious you've dedicated your life to this. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and it was it was fun, you know, speaking to Matthew Fox, it was fun working with him. I had a wonderful time with Matthew. That's years ago now, so that was great. Yeah, it's been a while since he's been on the show, but I, I should reach out to him. I don't know what he's even mm-hmm. doing these days, but uh, he was in um, my first anthology, of, uh, yeah. you know, Voices of the Sacred Feminine. He was in that. So, mm-hmm. Well, Barbara, thank you again uh, for being on tonight, and um, good luck with the third book. It's really hard to deal with Trump, I mean, to write to, write to have Trump. It's very hard, but I will master it. <laughs> So. It, it, well, and I and I want to I want to see what you do with him too. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so, uh, as as I'm sure we all do. Well, thank you, thank you again, Barbara, for your time. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure we'll talk soon. Okay, thank you for having me. Okay, take care. Okay, Bye. good night. Well, listeners, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I know we were kind of all over the place, but um, it just seemed uh, to require that we uh, connect all of those dots uh, between her books and the and, and the different topics uh, of, of conversation. You know, it's like this uh, this web. Uh, But anyway, I want to make sure um, I share with you a review about Joe Carson's book, Celebrate Wildness. And this review is by Dana Corby, uh, as she wrote it in her blog called The Rantin' Raven. And here's what she said about Celebrate Wildness. Um, She said, When people wonder aloud how the Wicca of Southern California became so much more nature-oriented and wild than the British traditions from which it arose, the one factor they don't take into account but should is feriferia. Feriferia, a word Fred Adams coined from Greek roots meaning wilderness festival, is a pagan tradition unlike any other. Based on Fred's visions of the divine feminine, the sacredness of Eros, and the potential for intentional communities that truly do no harm to anything. It also draws upon themes familiar to Wiccans, such as sacred landscapes, prehistoric beliefs, and the fairy faith. Well, you know, Fred intended that Feriferia should lead the world into a paradisal future in which freedom, eros, and play are the core values, where that built by human hands merges seamlessly into the wild and the fae romp among us. Celebrate Wildness is a unique, exquisite, and profound book. It uh, created in me a sort of homesickness, a wistfulness for the idealist I was. We all were, back when we and the world and the magic were all young and fresh. Though it's a short book at only 115 art-laden pages, don't expect to read it quickly. Take your time and let it sink into your subconscious. What bobs to the surface will be wondrous. Celebrate Wildness is an oversized, hardbound book on heavy paper, and it's available for $45 from feraferia.org. And that's spelled F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A dot org. 
And I don't know about you, dear listeners, but uh, as I read that um, review of um, Dana Corby's uh, about uh, Joe's book, Celebrate Wildness, I couldn't help but think about uh, The Hobbits and, um, you know, how their little houses just sort of fit so naturally into the landscape. And, um, and this idea that Fred had that uh, uh, would lead to a world of a paradisal future where freedom, eros, and play are the core values, could it be, could it be in a few generations that's actually where we go? Uh, could Fred have been seeing the future and he was just a man before his time? I don't know. Maybe Feriferia is uh, a guidebook. It's an interesting thought. Um, but before I go, uh, here's another word from Joe Carson. Most people's psychic experiences are dreaming, and it's thought that it's the pineal gland making this chemical that does it. Now, this was the core finding, the core finding that the pineal gland makes a hallucinogen. We all hallucinate. We all go into a state of consciousness that, for me, is the collective unconscious. This psychic state is the collective unconscious, which is that consciousness of the planet, what's called the chthonic mind, the mind of the earth. Because all peoples, all races, all tribes, from the past and right around the world, have myths and legends which use symbols and archetypes which are identical. Identical. Every human being experiences this state of consciousness, which is the dream mind. That symbolic, archetypal, exemplified by fairy tales, or the creation myths and legends of all the different peoples. The symbols of them are the same, and to me that is the consciousness of the earth speaking to us. Dancing with Gaia, Joe Carson's feature-length film. Uh, in it, she interviews 15 visionaries and teachers about Earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the return of the goddesses Gaia. You know, Joe traveled to ancient sites all over Europe and the Mediterranean to shoot this documentary. Uh, these spiritual sites from northern Scotland to central Turkey profoundly affected the origins of Western culture. Well, if you've always wanted to see these places yourself, but you haven't, this is an opportunity to experience some of the best ones and get their story. The DVD comes packaged with a 45-page color mini-book, which goes even deeper into the material. You can buy the DVD and booklet for only $20 at DancingWithGaia.com. You know, if you're a regular listener, you know that uh, I often uh, talk about uh, Joe's books, uh, celebrate Wildness in her uh, documentary, Dancing with Gaia. Uh, if you're serious about your home library, um, I really think uh, these are great tools, whether you're a beginner uh, or you're a seasoned Wiccan pagan uh, goddess advocate. Um, you know, I think they're very insightful and uh, they make great gifts. And I think you want to have them in your library. Well, uh, that about does it for me tonight. Um, I want to thank you for tuning in and apologize for all the uh, outside noise uh, tonight. Um, 
was not something I could control, unfortunately. I've got to keep the windows open, and um, it's just been a little crazy here uh, in my part of the world. Uh, But I hope you're doing well. Uh, Summer is upon us. Uh, I hope you had a wonderful Father's Day, Um, and uh, I hope you have a great uh, vacation planned for the summer or something special. And, um, you know, let's try real hard. Uh, to focus on the positive. Let's try real hard, even when we see the ugly out there. Uh, You know that everything is happening exactly as it needs to happen and that in the end, um, the world will become the place uh, that we are striving uh, for for it to be. Uh, It's just... um, you know, it, it's it's just something that uh, doesn't happen as quickly as we would like. And as I always say, uh, remember what do you put your attention in because what you nurture, what you focus on, that's what thrives, and what you neglect withers. So if you're focusing on the negative, uh, you're just going to be surrounded in the negative. So make sure you get your gratitude trigger out. Um, You know, get that piece of jewelry, make it your gratitude trigger. And, um, you know, use gratitude like a tool. Uh, because when we make a conscious effort to be grateful for the positive things around us, which we so quickly forget sometimes as we focus on the negative, uh, but if we make sure uh, that we focus on the, the positive, if we have gratitude for all the good we have in our life, uh, it really just shifts our consciousness. It makes the day easier. It makes our attitude better. Uh, we just have better, more positive outcomes. And the final thing I would like to say is um, in about a week, I am going to be putting out my newsletter called The Essentials with Karen Tate. And if you want to make sure you get a copy of that, please make sure you email me at ancientcultures at ca.rr.com. That's ancientcultures at ca.rr.com. And that way you are sure to get on the mailing list uh, so that you will get uh, once a month the essentials uh, with Karen Tate. Okay, uh, good night, dear listeners. Uh, thank you very much uh, for tuning in. And um, I'll just let you hear a little bit more of my favorite Zingaya tune here, um, Breath of Passion. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.